fighters, icons, powerful forces in their time. This week, we're looking back at some of our favorite female figures. Whether you're inspired to stare scornfully at an ungrateful town from a rocky crag above or use your knowledge and skills to free the wrongfully convicted, these gals remind us that there's something mighty within us all to save the world and save ourselves. This week's episode is Badass Women Revisited. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm feeling badass after this past weekend. We watched Barbie. We did. We watched Barbie. It was very, it was different than what I was expecting, but I loved it. I don't know how the set was created. And it's I phenomenal. think it's magical to not know because I just want to pretend like Barbie land really exists on the, the other most side magical, of yeah. <laughs> this realm. Greta Gerwig. That's how it was made. Is that her brain as a director is just incredible. Any behind the scenes, any of it, all of it is a really visionary woman who was certain about her idea and was saying, no, this is the right, this is a hard way to do it, but I promise you it's the right way. And now seeing that on the other side, that she had a vision, stuck with it, fought for what she wanted, and man, it made a billion dollars, is now, it ousted Avengers as one of the top grossing movies of all time. Come on. And I got my Barbie Crocs right here, our matching sandals <laughs> that you we and do. I both have. Yeah. Man. It was great. I loved it. I'm trying to feel more badass because I'm a little under the weather. I know. I can hear but it. But we, and we wanted to, we've had so many emails and everything come in about our Jehovah's Witness episode that we really needed like another week to really do, do it justice. It's probably going to be three episodes now. So don't worry. That is coming next Dong. week. <laughs> yes. It's on the calendar. It is. But as we watch that, yeah. there's some there's some badass women in that story, but there's a lot of shitty uh men in charge. Oh, and uh, yeah. we're like, let's uh let's take a moment to realize how powerful we are before and after these episodes and remind us all because it is we're getting into it. And if you have a, a story, if you are currently a Jehovah's Witness or you've been one or family members in it. Please send them in. You can send them to sinisterhood.com slash freaky Friday, or you can email them to sinisterhoodpodcast at gmail.com and just let us know in the email. Don't share it. Please share it. Only share it with certain names. Just we'll totally respect however much of your story you want to share publicly, but feel free to also share it with us just to give us uh, an idea of kind of what's what's going on behind the scenes. Cause what we've seen so far in all the research and investigation is stomach churning. And it's all run. By a bunch of old white men that don't yeah. know their ass from their hole, a hole in the ground. So before we get into that, we were like, we need to revisit some of these badass women that we've covered in the past. So and we there's no shortage of badass women in all the stories we've covered. But we've got four today that are just unstoppable forces. Susan Walters Kuhnhausen. I'm sure you all have heard this story. If you haven't in episode 128, it's always worth a revisit because you don't want, nobody wants to be in the situation, but right. when you find yourself in that situation 
to have reacted the way she did. It's uh, a story of survival. And then to become an advocate for survivors is incredible. She is how I hope I would act if confronted with a similar situation. Yeah, exactly. Fight, take them down. This is my house, bitch. Yes. Get out. Surgical. Yeah. <laughs> Surgical, which for any, any ER nurse. Unlike how you and I oh. reacted the other night on my porch. <laughs> Please, this is about badass women, not completely harebrained shenanigans. I was talking to Victoria on the phone, and I was like, I got to tell you what happened, dude. (laughs) No one understands how scary it was because you weren't there. Start to finish, we got to tell you about this. Everybody I've explained this to, they're just like, oh, weird. I'm like, you don't understand. It was terrifying to be out there. Picture this, set the scene. Days ago, we're sitting out on Christy's patio. Christy is sitting. Oh, no, I'm realizing how deranged this is going to (laughs) sound. Christy is sitting to my left. She's sitting uh, reading a Taylor Swift only magazine, like a special edition. Is it Entertainment Weekly? People. It's a people special edition. uh, It's credible. Come on. It's a it's a people Taylor Swift exclusive. It's phenomenal. <laughs> it has everything about the Eras tour, but also like her whole life yeah. and how like hard she worked and how t- she talks about how isolated she felt in school and like she didn't fit in. And to look at her now, I'm like, speaking of badass women, I mean, come on, my God. She was spotted at dinner with Greta Gerwig, amongst others. Oh, nice. Also spotted on a plane with Travis Kelsey. We love the Kelsey brothers. Well, I uh, I just, yeah, I generally love them. They're very cute. But you were reading your Taylor Swift <laughs> magazine to me out loud, which you bought for us to enjoy together, and I very much appreciated. I had purchased a little figurine of a, a man with a podium reading out of a book, and I, uh, I spray-painted it with white primer. I got it from a thrift store for a couple bucks, and I wanted to paint it. So I put some Dallas um, newspapers out, what do you call them, the... Dallas Bar Association sends out a newsletter. I don't read it. I just use it to paint on. I'm sorry. Thanks for sending. Just painting over my friend's faces. But I was painting it. I turned into a Professor Tron 5000. So I made him like a robot professor that knows everything. But anyways, we're doing this painting and you're telling me facts and we're th- and we heard a clamoring is what the word oh, you used. And <laughs> I've I have since also referred to it as a kerfuffle. <laughs> I think both of those words. Uh, what does he call it in? Uh, ruckus the breakfast club a ruckus can you can you define the ruckus well first of all we have to back up about 20 minutes prior to this happening we hear what was very clearly a series of gunshots okay pause and then more gunshots which is always unsettling and then about five minutes after that we hear tons of sirens like ambulance, everything. And you were like, do you think they're going to wherever that was? And I was like, oh my God, maybe. And then like 10 minutes later, we hear what sounds like someone is trying to climb over the eight foot wooden fence in my backyard, like trying to like, sounded like a clamoring, like something large was trying to get over the fence and was like shaking it. And we both just stared at each other in shock like what what is that what we thought it might be the dog the dog was next to us so it wasn't then next thing i know all of a sudden it's on the roof and it sounds like it's about to it's coming down the roof and is about to jump off the roof right to where we are sitting on the patio so i leapt up (laughs) 
Taylor Swift magazine in hand. I did not leave him behind. And I was like, Kate. And we ran to the door. Kate is my dog to get in so fast. <laughs> I grabbed my purse was outside. So I did grab my purse. And then I grabbed Professor Trump 5000. And I had a <laughs> paintbrush with purple paint on it. And I'm running in the house and I was trying to avoid getting paint. Eventually, I did get purple paint yeah. on your console. I'm sorry. The magic eraser got it off. <laughs> it was kids paint so like to be fair some kid was gonna get paint on in your house you probably just banked on it being one that came out of your womb and not your best friend <laughs> like per- paint was gonna get on that console period yeah but we yeah. get inside and you try to call tommy who was at rehearsal he was help he's coaching an improv troupe mm-hmm. so he was a, being a very good coach having his phone off and being fully present so no answer <laughs> there was no answer and also there was nothing in the backyard. It was like mm-hmm. all of this happened and then nothing appeared. I fully expected a person to jump over the fence and in my head thought, what am I going to do if I'm just confronted with somebody in the backyard? And luckily it didn't get to that point because it ran off. Whatever it was ran off. I'm trying to see if there was a police chase. Not last night. There was no police chases. Or not the night that this happened. At one point you said, let me get on the scanner <laughs> so you could see if there was anything going on around the neighborhood. Um, I didn't find it. I do see, unrelated, someone was setting fire to mail inside of mailboxes in Highland Park. God. But that was the same night, so I don't know if it was that. <laughs> it's not, you don't live in Highland Park. You really I don't live near it. No, but you I'm never not know. near Highland Park. He might have got fast. He got real fast that day. Perhaps. But that was our badass story. It was not at all badass. It was shenanigans. We just kept giggling and laughing, going, do we go back out? What do we do? Do we? I called Paris. He goes, did you want me to come over? And I go, no. He said, what did it sound like? And when we described it, he's like, maybe was it a raccoon? And yeah. Honestly, in retrospect, it could have been. There was scraping. It sounded like something thick and large trying to get over something. So like like the scratches of ascension. So it was like an upward (laughs) sounding scratch. So maybe it was a raccoon trying to not like getting into your trash cans or over them or trying to hang on the fence and made its way somehow. But it was so scary at the time. (laughs) It was very loud and disruptive. And we did not handle it. Really like badass women, to be well, honest. So we could learn something from these women today. The only badass was Petal, who when you shut the door, you go, well, Petal's out there. And I said, I think she'll be fine. <laughs> my money is always, always on Petal. Just like our second badass, my money is always, always, always on Kathleen Zellner. That oh, is yes. who our second badass of this uh, revisiting wild women, badass women. It is from the episodes 174 and 175 the wrongful conviction of ryan ferguson but you probably also know kathleen zellner from her work with stephen avery the subject of making a murderer she didn't give up that case happened in 2005 she just recently and as recently as august has filed an appeal in his case still fighting still fighting she is a tenacious lawyer if i was ever in a situation where i needed a defense attorney she is who i am calling asap Oh, her skills in post-conviction advocacy, which is what we'll talk about in the clip you'll hear today, is just unparalleled, unparalleled, and much like our third woman, unparalleled, Princess Diana. Needs no introduction. Absolutely, she doesn't. She's, she is, she is beauty, she is grace, she is an icon. Heather studied 
her accent and <laughs> did such a great job in these series. Uh, episodes 130 to 132, all about Princess Diana and her life and legacy. And of course, the tragedy in the tunnel. And what a badass wife, mom, leader, everything yeah. that she was. She's a humanitarian. We'll hear mm-hmm. in this clip about her different roles and how there's nothing badass than surviving being married to King Charles. Yeah. But she manages to be even more amazing with both the legacy she leaves with her kids and all the good work she did. So we'll talk about that. And last but not least, there's nothing badder ass than a wicked witch on a hill. <laughs> I just sounded like one when I laughed <laughs> just then. <laughs> oh, we love Hannah Craner, the Wicked Witch of Monroe County from episode 157. Shout out to Katie on our Facebook Patreon page. Uh, she mentioned this episode because we joke around and you'll actually hear it in this clip. We joke around about how we kind of want to start a witch gang and it's never too late. So we're moving forward on our witch gang plan. So we thought you might want to hear this. But if you go back to episode 157, there's some updates for you all. We said we really wanted to meet Walter in that episode from mm-hmm. Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And unfortunately, he has passed away. So rest mm-hmm. in peace to Walter from Real Housewives. He was a Beloved restaurateur and member of the Real Housewives community, but we we missed it. We missed our chance. We also said in that episode we were going to Salem in October 2022. We did it. We almost did. We went in June of 2022. We beat it. Um, we mostly, beat our goal. We did well because we had a show in um, Boston, so we're like, oh, we'll double up on this. Also, I've heard from many people that Salem in October is a shit show and you should actually go, especially like around the closer you get to Halloween. I'm sure it's also very fun, but we had a wonderful time. Once again, I ran into a listener and where was that? Oh, a bathroom. So, so far I am three for three of running into listeners and being recognized in public bathrooms. I got, I got recognized again by my voice. I never get recognized by my face, but it's when I speak and I was at a Sephora Shout out to Ileana at the Sephora in Fort Worth (laughs) University Park. I said, hello, do you have Fenty Beauty? And she's like, do you have a podcast? I was like, I do. But I was, I uh, was, didn't, I never get physically recognized. It's only ever people recognize Paris and then me, or I'll say something loudly and someone's head will turn and go, was that Heather? (laughs) I talk a little too loudly, but mine are like, oh, that's got to be Christy because she's in the bathroom. So I'm sure that that's probably her. (laughs) I reckon those shoes well there's nothing wrong with taking up your time in the bathroom or being nice and loud as hannah crana will teach you she don't give a fuck and neither should you but that's what we're going to cover today so we hope you enjoy this this trail through badass women and just uh, absorb it all now and feel really powerful because the next few episodes it's going to be a scathing a scathing <laughs> indictment and analysis of this organization it's taking Oof. a minute oh i knew they were bad But man, have I learned some stuff that I didn't know. And I'd say I wish I didn't know, but I'm glad I do know it because knowledge is power. And what an organization, what a cult that's just hiding in plain sight and operates in in plain sight daily. It's shocking. It's shocking to say the least. Yes, truly. But you said it right. Knowledge is power. So let's all get powerful together. Let's do it. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Very appropriate topic to record today on International Women's Day because this woman is 
maybe the most badass that I've, <laughs> I think so. I've ever heard about. Yeah. Except for my favorite woman on International Women's Day, which is you. Well, oh my second. God. My mom is my favorite. And then you. <laughs> well, that's fair. That's fair. I, I will take a second place, second banana to uh, to Kathy any day. Oh, well, thank, thank you. you. I was just thinking about you today on International Women's Day. They Aww. were like, think a badass boss today. And I was like, I have a BFF who's a badass boss. Oh, you're a badass so, boss. Too. I was also going back and listening to old episodes for uh, technical reasons, for <laughs> random things we need to do for the show. And I just, early episodes, you, I was so busy back when I had my big law law firm job and you were just so kind to me for off the air, obviously, but also on the air. There were so many times when at the end, before we had Patreon and before literally anyone was listening, like 30 people maybe was listening. And so we didn't really have a lot of shout outs, but at the end you would always go, I want to shout out Heather. She's so busy. I don't know when she sleeps. She's amazing. And I, you just, you're so thoughtful Aww. and and kind. And meanwhile, you had a tiny baby at home. So <laughs> <laughs> I should have shouted you back out. Well, but I you always all the shout me out. I feel like you're always extremely supportive and shout me out. And you've, um, even though you don't have that big law firm, you're still just as busy and you managed to find so much time to do so much, especially when I was on maternity leave. So you are a badass boss babe as well. Ladies supporting ladies. That's what we like to hear. Who runs the world? All of us. Girls. Girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I I love it. I like that it's International Women's Day, and this is uh, perfectly timed and mm-hmm. a suggestion from some awesome friends of the show. Yes. Uh, thank you. Man, I hope I get this last name right. Shane Van Landingham, which is a badass last name, Ryan Mathers and Taylor Wallsmith all suggested this topic and I had never heard of it and was immediately taken by this incredible survival story that's just jo- my jaw dropped while reading about this whole oh yeah saga I think I've read like a BuzzFeed article or it was like a short kind of a snippet article. It may have been the all that's interesting article Mm -hmm. that was linked on something multiple years ago. And when it was suggested, I thought, oh, I've never heard of that story. And I said, oh, yeah, okay." I had read like like you said, a clip, a column or two. And when we really dug into all this research and, and not just what happened, you know, during the attack in the immediate aftermath, but then her life and her career afterwards, you just you just got to bow down. And mm-hmm. and I love it mm-hmm. because her her whole, you know, from the start, she's like, I just did what I, anybody else would do. I just, you know, it's like any hero. You hear, mm-hmm. oh, this person saved a kid or, you know, jumped on the su- on the subway tracks and saved someone. They're like, well, I just did what anybody else would do. And it's like, not necessarily. So yeah. uh, we all hope we would do those things in those moments. And, and then you have people that do do those things. So. Yep, absolutely. Impressive. I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And... um This week's episode is The Incredible Survival Story of Susan Walters Kuhnhausen, and it is a doozy, so let's get into it. Susan Walters moved to Oregon after becoming a registered nurse in the 1980s. According to Willamette Week, she initially moved to Coos Bay, home of Burger's Top Service Body Shop, located at 180 Ingersoll Street, available for all your Gobble Squatch-related car damage needs. Shortly thereafter, she moved to Portland, where she enjoyed its nightlife and would spend time at the local comedy club. She was boisterous, full of life, and had a loud and contagious laugh. I'm just tickled 
about our Gobble Squatch <laughs> reference. <laughs> if you have not, if you don't understand this reference, Gobble Squatch was a main episode or was it a mini so? It was Patreon. It was a Patreon okay. episode. Yes, that's right. So Gobble Squatch was a mini so, which is available on our Patreon that we did around Thanksgiving and it was very funny. <laughs> very the Gobble silly. Squatch is a really fun cryptid. It that is. hopefully is not a cryptid. Hopefully it's a real life thing because it's amazing. <laughs> we hope it's real. <laughs> but yes. if if your car is damaged by Gobble Squatch, you can go to Burger's Top Service mm-hmm. Body Shop in Coos Bay where Susan's moved. Susan moved right before she moved to Portland. So, so many tie-ins. We, we thought it was important to tie it in. <laughs> Hoping to find her a partner, Susan's mom and a friend placed a singles ad in the Willamette Week titled Someone Different. The ad read, Single white female, 33, overweight but not over life. Seek single male who wants more out of a relationship than just slender. Active healthcare professional, enjoys exploring the Northwest, interested in conversation, good times with someone who is intelligent, thoughtful, and full of humor. Must be emotionally and fiscally mature. If you're seeking a bright, funny lady who's adventurous enough to advertise, then please reply. Oh, I love her. I, I do. I just love her based on that already. I know. We could be friends. It also, man, I just, it's not sad, but for some reason, I feel sad. Because she was looking for, I'm not saying her ad is sad. What's sad is no, no, no. she wanted someone, there were all of these things, and what she got was... Not those things. Uh, not those things at all. And to put yourself out there like this, because this was, what year? The 80s. The 80s? 1988. Yeah. Yeah, so this is basically your profile on Tinder mm-hmm. or Bumble or something like that. But these go in newspaper ads. When you yes, flip my to the back met- and it'd be like an ad at the back of the paper. She met my cousin met her husband that way. Really? And they're both they're both very witty and funny people, which I mean, my cousin is we're cut from the same cloth, just real like snappy, sassy. She's my cousin Amy, who's the nurse who <laughs> Just like I call for all my injuries. Um, and she calls me for legal stuff. So it's like tip there for tip. It's great. But she's very funny and witty. And her husband is super funny and witty. And they wrote these, you know, I can't remember who did the initial post or, you know, the initial ad. And then I think maybe he did the initial ad and she responded. But anyway, real, but real kind of witty comeback. It's like your opening line on Bumble or Tinder. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They've been married for however many years and have two kids in college and it all worked out, and they're you know best friends and totally matched with each other. So, in some cases, newspaper ad. Yeah, could work. that's amazing. Yeah, and that's so wild. I, I remember one time I had just I took for granted that they got together when I was you know ten or twelve, and I said, "How did y'all meet?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, it's just like a singles ad." I was like, "That's a thing that people yeah. did," and it worked <laughs> out. Flash forward twenty years, you did the same thing, but just in a more tr- modern technology type of way. That's true. I'm going to have to show our kids, our future children, our Bumble profiles and be like, yeah, your dad's main picture was in a bathroom. And I didn't notice until well after we had dated. I was like, oh, my gosh, he is. It's a bathroom selfie is his main picture. Bathroom light has some of the best light, though. It was a good picture. though. Is that why? Because of the light? Oh, yeah. Or yeah, was, it was he really good lighting. dropping a deuce? He's like, you know what? Let's just do it right now. If you oh can gosh. accept me at my worst, then you're you're deserving of to be with me. You know what? He was on the toilet. I'm kidding. He wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not long after the ad ran, Susan received a reply. Hi, different. My name is Mike. I'm a 39-year-old divorced white male. 
I enjoy most things in nature, from wandering in the ape caves at Mount St. Helens to walking on the beach at sunset. The man, Mike Kuhnhausen, sounded like a perfect match. Before meeting in person, Susan told Willamette Week the two likely spoke on the phone for over 100 hours. He had a nice voice. I was impressed he wanted to talk about the deeper things. Their first date was February of 1988 at the Crystal Springs Rhododendron Club, where they fed the ducks and squirrels. A few months later, on December 10th, the couple drove to Reno and got married. Fast and furious right out the gate. You know, you find somebody you like, and it sounds it sounds like 100 hours is a long time. I mean, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you've, first of all, I hate talking on five minutes of the phone. <laughs> if I would rather someone send me pages of a text than call <laughs> me. I don't know why. I get phone anxiety. But sense. if you're, if you're trying to get to know somebody then yeah absolutely yeah talk on the phone a hundred hours and what i love about relationships well not theirs but ones that start like this or like your cousins probably or mm-hmm. you get to know people on a different level when you have a hundred hours of just talking before you ever introduce anything physical or even meeting each other or anything like that kind of sure. like kind of like love is blind except that show was trash but it's the same concept you know like you're stripping away those physical first impressions and stuff and just like really getting to know somebody before you introduce that and then you ideally would have a really solid foundation for a relationship not the case not the case with this yeah and i you know of course there's exceptions to rules and things like that but paris and i i think we texted for maybe a week or more and then went out and then we actually would talk on the phone. And it's funny because um, my friend Misty, her husband, she said that they used to talk on the phone when, and they they got together in like 2011, I think, that they talked on the phone. And I remember back when she first told me that, I was like, that's weird. And then when I started dating Paris, you know, if we couldn't get together, we were busy or something, he would say like, oh, just, you know, I want to call and chat or I would say, oh, I have a question or whatever, or I want to tell you something funny that happened instead of texting it. And it was really nice talking on the oh, phone, yeah. you know? I want to clarify. Like pillow talk. I- I don't I don't hate talking on the phone to Tommy or my mom. There are people I will talk on the phone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But if I was just meeting someone and trying to get to know them, I would enjoy talking on the phone. And I used to love talking on the phone when I was younger. But oh, yeah. Back in the day. Oh, my God. That's all you did back in the day. (laughs) Just kick your feet up on your bed and, you Mm -hmm. know, kick your, your heels behind you. Yep. In an interview with the Willamette Week, Susan said it wasn't long after they tied the knot that the marriage went south. Mike began telling her he had never really been happy. In fact, according to Susan, her husband's life philosophy was, Life is a shit sandwich, and every day you take another bite until you die. That is not something you want on a t-shirt. No, and, you know, that tells you pretty much, I think it sums it up. You know, if you ask somebody, what's your mantra in life? What's your like life philosophy of every day's a new day and we can all start again and dreams mm-hmm. come true and life's a shit sandwich. <laughs> yeah. That's quite the opposite of live, laugh, love. <laughs> and what a beating to be with somebody that that's what they wake up and think every day. Just yeah. this dark, ominous cloud over your life all the mm-hmm. time. It's hard to deal with. And also, you know, that's not original. Shit sandwiches from Spinal Tap. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, Mike, idiot. Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. 
Mike had grown up in Portland after being adopted by a couple in their 30s when he was a newborn. He later went on to serve in the military and told his wife he had fought in the Vietnam War. However, Susan later learned military records listed him as a switchboard operator, causing her to doubt her husband ever saw combat as he claimed. You know what's a rabbit hole is stolen valor stories where people pretend to be in the military or pretend to do things that they didn't really do. Oh, have you ever seen the documentary, The Woman Who Wasn't There? No, what's that about? Oh, girl, you got to watch it. Christy documentary list. It's on my documentary list on Patreon. Okay. I don't I don't want to don't tell give me. it away oh. but you've yeah. got to you got to watch it it's so good god damn right. I think about it a lot But that also shows you if he's already lying to her about stuff that early on like what kind of foundation is that for a healthy relationship It's not and especially back then you couldn't really search it you know until mm-hmm. she later learned you know you can't really search it at the time whereas mm-hmm. I google everybody immediately <laughs> as you should A few years into their marriage, Mike got a job as a janitorial supervisor for Oregon Entertainment, the parent company of Fantasy Adult Video. It was here he would hire a man named Edward Dalton Haffey, a 59-year-old veteran with an alarming rap sheet, to clean the floors of the adult video store. But that wouldn't be all Mike would hire Haffey to do. Susan and Mike's marriage continued to fall apart. He was slovenly, gave her grief when she went out, and criticized her any time she spent money. According to All That's Interesting, Mike was emotionally abusive for much of their 17-year marriage. By 2005, Susan had had enough and decided to end things. She kicked Mike out of the house and planned on pursuing a divorce, though Mike wanted to reconcile. I think in the interview, too, she said he would, like, burp all the time. Mm -hmm. It was just, like, almost purposefully gross. Yeah. She would go to kiss him and he'd burp in her face. No. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. That's not, not sexy. Susan's marriage was not the first unhappy union she had witnessed. She was in second grade when her own parents divorced. The daughter of an Air Force cook, Susan had grown up in a chaotic environment, with the family moving from Colorado to Arizona, Nevada, and California. Susan and her siblings had been no strangers to being shuffled between homes, schools, and parents. She told the Willamette Week, My parents love me, but they couldn't teach me how to have a successful marriage any more than they could teach me how to fly. So if you grow up kind of, that's your baseline for what you think marriage should look like. Mm -hmm. Some red flags might not stick out to you right away when you're in a marriage of your own because that's what you saw for so long. It's true. Yeah. And it takes a lot for all of us to unlearn the habits of our parents Mm -hmm. and unlearn, you know, not just their relationship habits, but personal habits. And, you know, obviously we're shaped by our parents. We want to take what we can from them and try to look at things with a a good a new perspective but and it sounds like she has that perfect perspective of I knew I couldn't even learn anything from them I had no Mm -hmm. idea what a healthy marriage looked like and Mm -hmm. knowing that you know and and, in hindsight saying that's maybe why I got in this situation Mm -hmm. that's fair on September 6 2006 Susan finished her shift as an ER nurse at Providence Portland Medical Center a position she had held for 30 years rather than immediately heading home Susan stopped at a hair salon called Perfect Look, according to Willamette Week. After finishing her appointment, she returned to her home in southeast Portland that she had previously shared with Mike as the divorce was underway. So by this time, she's kicked him out. She's kicked him out, yeah, and he went to live with his dad. Okay. While the two no longer lived together, Susan had never had the locks changed or changed the security alarm code. 
as Mike still had access to the house, she had asked him to come check in on her cats. However, when she arrived at home, she found a note from Mike on the microwave. He had written that he'd gone to the beach because he hadn't been sleeping and needed to get away. Not thinking much of it, Susan began to unwind from a long day at work and settle in for the night. That's a sense of comfort when you live by yourself and you come home and you take a deep breath and you're like, oh, it's just me in this house. Mm -hmm. I don't have that gross husband of mine here anymore. Mm -hmm. But even though they were going through a divorce and she kicked him out, they were still friendly enough for her to ask, hey, can you come and check in on the cats and stuff while I'm at work and everything? Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, you feel safe because your alarm system is set. Mm hmm. As Susan stood in her kitchen around 6.40 p.m., Edward Dalton Haffey, a 59-year-old Vietnam veteran struggling with addiction, hid behind a door in Susan's bedroom. As she walked towards her room, she noticed how dark it was and wondered if she had mistakenly left the curtains closed that morning. No sooner had this thought crossed her mind than she entered her bedroom and found herself standing face-to-face with Haffey. The 5'9", 190-pound man wielded a red and black claw hammer his hands covered in two layers of gloves, both latex and yellow rubber ones. This is my nightmare. Seriously. And you hope, you hope that you have the Susan Dude, Walters in you. I think about it all the time. Too much, well, l- probably. Luckily, my sister used to jump out and scare me as a kid, so I don't walk around corners. I go, Hah! around corners. <laughs> so you'd scare them. I Hopefully. That's the plan. That is the yeah. plan. I think all the time, what would I do if I woke up and someone was in the house? Or I woke up and somebody was standing over my bed, like Golden State Killer style. And I want to imagine that I would react the way Susan, we're about to find out Susan reacts. But I, until you're in that situation, you can't know how you're going to react. You freeze up, just do whatever to get out of the situation. I mean, you go into survival mode, whatever that looks like to you. It's fight or flight or freeze or appease or it's and no mm-hmm. nothing's the right or wrong answer. It's just whatever you're gonna do. No. This is also why magic of new technology. I have motion sensor cameras all over my house too, so I could see from the other room if some my phone would buzz if someone was in my living room. That's smart. Or maybe a little overboard. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Susan told Multnomah County. We were nose to nose, and I could feel his wet, winded breath on me. He was lying in wait for me, thinking, piece of cake, middle-aged woman, overweight, with two bad knees. But Haffey was woefully unprepared for what he faced. When describing the attack later to WAVE News, Susan said, I saw a man step out of the shadows, and he began to hit me in the head and the face with the hammer. As he attempted to rain blows on Susan, her years of self-defense training she received as an ER nurse kicked in. Rather than back away, she stayed close to him, knowing the blows from the hammer would be less effective if he wasn't able to swing it very far. That's true, because you get so less... smart. Yeah. What is it? It's like physics, right? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, your instinct would be to back the fuck up and try and run, but she was like, nah, we're doing this, dude. Not today, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Like, she That's... was like, you came into the <laughs> wrong bedroom, bitch. <laughs> And it's the magic of the self-defense training because there is a lot of intuitive stuff that's not right. That The counterintuitive choice of staying close is actually better that you, you learn from mm-hmm. self-defense. I believe they also said she had to do uh, training to subdue 
patients who were having psychotic episodes or drug issues mm-hmm. and and learn how to counterweight basically and control their physical position, which yes. came in handy. Definitely. And she had to disarm people that came into the ER and were, you know, completely out of their mind. She had to break open chest cavities to perform like heart massages when people were like in distress. And she was strong as shit. And yeah. she, they regularly trained the ER nurses in self-defense. So it was just yes. kind of second nature to her. And I may be partial, as I previously talked about, an ER nurse who I love and am very close to. They are bad bitches. I mean, mm-hmm. you see shit. Like yeah. when, Oh, yeah. I mean, back when my cousin worked in, she worked in various ERs, like trauma units, we would see stuff on the news of this horrifying, you know, train accident happened. And she'd be like, yeah, that that's, I had to deal with that today. And you're like, mm. oh, and then you have to go home. Yeah. And you're like, and this, well, I had to get cc'd on a mass email our email was down all day yeah come on (laughs) it was seriously i'm not kidding our email was down it was driving me out of my mind but and then you think about this woman not only did she just work a full ass shift at the Mm -hmm. er and now she's got to go home and fuck with this guy yep yep damn susan fought and managed to wrestle the weapon away from her attacker remembering a lesson she had learned as a child susan explained to wave I got the hammer and started hitting him with the hammer several times. My father, the carpenter, always taught me a hammer could be used for self-defense. The claw end would work the best. Again, she's just like, I'm taking control of this situation. Like, this is how I I want. She is my my icon in this situation. Like, if I was being attacked, I would want to respond like this instead of just like, running yeah or yeah. but you know i mean again there's no right or wrong the only right thing to do is try and survive for sure but i think too if your job is some people come in they're screaming they're bloody they're dying you can't go oh my god i'm panicking so That's her true. brain is okay we have to triage step one get the hammer step two your step one get close step two get the hammer step three use the claw and like your brain works like that if you're faced with trauma daily mm-hmm. and so by virtue i think her job prepared her you know yeah helped to prepare her Mm -hmm. while susan was five inches shorter than her attacker she significantly outweighed him and used that to her advantage she slammed her body against his in an attempt to knock him over however the hitman didn't fall and instead shoved susan against her bedroom wall speaking the only words he would that night you're strong susan told the willamette week that it was at this moment she realized this man's intent was to kill her. On Friday, October 21st, 2005, Ryan Ferguson was convicted of felony murder in the second degree and first degree robbery, just two days after his 21st birthday. On December 5th, 2005, Ryan was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Can you imagine you just turned 21? And then you're like, uh, so the rest, basically... All my life, like my good years, mm-hmm. are gone. And at the um, the sentencing hearing, Bill gets on the stand and you know is asking the jury, "Please don't give my son the maximum that the prosecution is requesting. If you do, I'll never see him again in my lifetime outside of jail." And that's just when you put it in that perspective. That's why I mean he because you know Bill's probably in his. 50s 60s at that point like he goes Mm -hmm. away like he's never gonna hug his son again 
Mm-hmm. And then you see all the things they love to do. He talks, you know, we talked about it last time, playing basketball, traveling, all mm-hmm. that stuff. By the time, even if somehow by some miracle that you live that long, those days are over. Yeah. The, the funsy days are all Your over. Your days of having grandkids, all that stuff mm-hmm. that you dream about, you know, when you're a, a dad and or a parent. I mean, his mom, his mom too. Oh, yeah. All of it gone. Ryan's family was devastated after the verdict, with his beloved 21-year-old son sentenced to 40 years in prison. Bill Ferguson made it his new mission to free Ryan. Immediately, Bill began educating himself on the ins and outs of the legal system and the steps he needed to take to help prove Ryan's innocence. Bill walked the crime scene countless times, combed through court records, conducted his own interviews, and talked to anyone that would listen about the case and his son's wrongful imprisonment. One of the interviews that Bill conducted was with Jerry Trump's wife. After locating her whereabouts, he boldly traveled to her home to confirm that she had, in fact, sent the newspaper article to her husband. When he asked her outright if she had sent the article, she responded no, she did not. Bill also spoke with custodian Shauna Orndt, who had testified at trial and seen two men at the scene. When Bill asked Shauna if either of the men were Ryan or Charles, she told him definitively no. And your heart just must sink going, mm-hmm. this is, you start to go, well, maybe, you know, initially you go, I think this might be kind of a cover up or this might be kind of a hit job. And then you start to talk to the witnesses and go, oh, it was a, entirely a hit job. Yeah. This was entirely made up. I think your heart drops at the same time. It probably gives you hope mm-hmm. because you think, well, I'm going to gather all this evidence. We're, we've got to get a retrial. How could we not? And then mm-hmm. my son's going to get out. Mm-hmm. You start to pull at that that yeah. yarn, pull at that thread, and it's going to start to unravel. Sadly, what even even in this case, which I think it's smoking gun evidence mm-hmm. of prosecutorial misconduct of withholding evidence and stuff, it still takes years. Yeah. With the aid of a public defender, Ryan attempted to appeal his conviction. Two appeals courts upheld his conviction. In 2008, he filed a motion for a new trial alleging that ineffective assistance of counsel and Brady violations by the state deprived him of his constitutional rights. The motion focused on two key pieces of exculpatory evidence withheld by the prosecutors, the confession of another suspect and statements from Shauna Orndt. In November of 2002, years before Ryan's initial trial, a public defender encountered something remarkable when representing a person accused of robbery. His client's acquaintance had confessed to being involved in Heitholt's murder. The attorney sent an email to prosecutors informing them of the new potential suspect. Laser focused on Ryan and Charles, the assistant prosecutors never forwarded the email to their boss, Kevin Crane, and never forwarded it to Ryan's defense attorneys either. That is something uh, that is something else that you would need to forward. I think that that's kind of a huge e- I mean, that's a uh, an urgent all caps subject line email. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And good on the public defender for it's a paper trail. Cause if you pick up the mm-hmm. phone and call, I mean, there's no proof that anybody said anything. So sending an email and saying, this person says they have information on this murder. Just want to make you aware. Here's their name. Here's where they're being held. Let me know if you need anything. There's at least you've done your duty and said, it's off my plate now. Now what they did was just go, we don't, well, it, that suspect was black and the janitor said they saw white, two white mm-hmm. guys. So we're going to ignore that instead of going, well, you know what? Maybe those two guys just stumbled upon the scene and maybe it could have been a different suspect. It's this thing we've seen with so many prosecutions before of you get, like you said, laser focused on something 
and you are just blind to any other possibility. And I, it's just, whether it's hubris, not wanting to have to redo a bunch of work that you're already, mm-hmm. you know, knee deep in this trial, you're like, well, I don't, if we just ignore that, then, we're going. you know, we, yeah. Instead of doing what you are, what the oath you took when you became an attorney, what you are upheld to do. Yeah. And and in this case, it could have easily been somebody bullshitting in jail and talking. You still have to give the defense attorney mm-hmm. a chance to talk to that person. I, frankly, I think it's a dereliction of your own duty not to talk to them. But because it's reasonable doubt. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's it. I mean, this is evidence favorable. To, again, this fits Brady. You know, it's favorable. It could make the, the difference. And uh, this is a little bit weaker, I guess, depending on if the person feasibly could, you know, if they weren't like in jail at the time of the crime or something like that, you know, if it was feasible. But uh, they it's still every, something that warrants being looked into. Err on the side of disclosure. Always. Yes. Sinisterhood will be right back. The motion also alleged that Crane and his team failed to inform Ryan's defense counsel of statements made by custodian Shauna Ornt. Though she testified to the events of the night, she was never asked on the stand whether she could point to the perpetrator in court. That's because she had previously told police and prosecutors that Ryan and Charles were absolutely not the men she saw the night of Kent's murder. Rather than informing Ryan's defense attorney of these statements, as required under the constitutional Brady Standard, Crane withheld them and never asked her to ID the men she saw while on the stand. At the hearing on July 18, 2008, Crane, who by this point was a circuit court judge, acknowledged that his assistant DAs failed to turn over the evidence in yet another move that violated Ryan's constitutional rights. The assistant DAs argued that because the confessing person was black and the janitor saw two white guys, they didn't need to look into it. This decision did not appear to bother Crane. The motion for a new trial was denied by Crane's 13th Circuit colleague, Judge Jody Capshaw Azel. Well, isn't that funny that one, some <sighs> one of your colleagues just said, nah, you're good. It's bizarre to me, and I, I love whenever I have an opinion and then some genius like Kathleen Zellner is like, "This, I feel the same way. Uh, it's uh, these, pretty much every appellate decision in Ryan's case up until the one, you know, the final one is bizarre and confusing to me. And it is it flies in the face of the standards. The constitutional standards are set. This is the facts is how it. And then when you apply the facts to the law, you go. But actually, I, I, I get a different uh, answer. I don't know. It's kind of like math to me where you have these prongs that need to be met. And then you have facts that fit the prongs. But then at the end of it, the judge goes. But anyway, everything's cool. Denied. It's yeah. just bizarre. It's I I don't feel confused. I feel like the <laughs> answer is clearly I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. Like we don't implicate our own or we don't question our own is what it boils down to. Yeah, and you, you say, you know, that could be any of us or whatever. I don't know, but I think that that's not your job. Your job is to, you know, protect and uphold the constitution and in this case it did not get upheld many times over. Mm-mm. In the meantime, 48 Hours and Dateline picked up Ryan's story. Celebrated exoneration attorney Kathleen Zellner later told documentary filmmakers that she saw Ryan's case on 48 Hours and noted to her staff that if his family should call, she would take the case pro bono. Bill contacted her office, and Kathleen took up Ryan's representation in 2009. Thank you, 48 Hours. I believe Ryan's girlfriend that he had met while in prison 
they had started corresponding was the one that knew of Kathleen Zellner and Mm -hmm. told Bill, like, you should contact her. And Bill contacted her. And he said he sent the email to her like 1.30 in the morning. And by the next morning, she had replied to him and said, hey, how about um, weekend after next, we meet up and talk about this. Like, she was on it right away. He didn't have to wait months to to see her. She was ready and willing. Mm -hmm. She's incredible. Oh, she's amazing. She's also from Texas, so shout out. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. Shortly after Kathleen became involved, something highly unexpected occurred. After spending five years in prison, Ryan received a letter from Charles. They hadn't spoken since the trial. In it, he asked for Kathleen to come visit him. Rather than proclaim his innocence as Kathleen anticipated, during the tape statement in 2009, Charles took full responsibility for the murder. However, Kathleen was not convinced. The physical evidence pointed to someone else, not Ryan and not Charles either. And this shows you what an excellent attorney that she is because you're getting here a, an opportunity to go, see, look, he's mm-hmm. taking all the blame. We could just use this to get Ryan out. And she says, no, the truth is more important Because here. she has a moral compass and conscience mm-hmm. and Integrity. Is, a, is a great person that mm-hmm. is upholding what, she, what her job description is. In April 2012, Kathleen Zellner represented Ryan at his habeas hearing. Charles Erickson, Jerry Trump, and Kevin Crane all testified. Charles told the judge how he was coached by the prosecution into telling what happened and that none of what he testified at the initial trial came from his own memory. Jerry Trump testified that he lied about his wife sending the newspaper article. He stated that when he came to the prosecutor's office, Kevin Crane pointed to the photos of Charles and Ryan, indicating to Trump that they were the ones who had killed Kent Heitholt. Trump crafted the story about receiving the article from his wife, he said, at the insistence of Kevin Crane. When asked what he wanted in exchange for his testimony at the habeas hearing, a tearful Trump asked only for Ryan's forgiveness. Yeah, and I believe the language used was they told Trump, quote, it, it would help us out a lot if you could say that you saw this with the headline folded down. Mm-hmm. It would really help us a lot. if you. It's one of those where he was lying in a way, not, not to besmirch Jerry Trump, but he was lying in a way that was too smart for him, that he, he wouldn't have known. It's more effective testimony to say, I saw the photos without the headline, but a prosecutor would know that. That that's a much more effective testimony to say, I just saw it and in my heart. I knew, oh, my gosh, that's the killer. And I wasn't prompted by the link because that's a, a, any good defense attorney. We go, well, maybe you were prompted by the headline above it that said these mm-hmm. were the men that did it. So the story that he the little package that he was selling it was clearly a package that was given to him by a professional. It also seemed just too on the nose. It's something yes. out of a movie. I received this newspaper and it was folded in such a way that, I mean, you go out of your way to point out it was folded down. So I didn't even see the headlines. I just saw the pictures and it's just, it doesn't even seem believable. Well, and if Rogers would have taken a second to print the freaking newspaper article right. out, you would see, and I believe Kathleen Zellner did it at the hearing, it, it's impossible or it would be improbable that it would be folded that way because the photographs were so close up to the headline mm-hmm. that you would, it's not like it was a, It was on the headline like was on the top Like below the, the fold or above the fold. Yeah, below the fold, the fold or whatever. No, it was, <laughs> it was all on one side. Yeah. And she's like, why would it have folded to the side or been back? Or And it, yeah, and it, it took two up. seconds to do that. This, yeah. Rogers just, Ah, man. He was not in any, I mean, he was not in the documentary except for the trial footage, probably because he has nothing to say for himself. Yeah, not a, not a great commercial. Mm-mm. 
Kevin Crane also testified. In his introduction, the presiding judge, Daniel Green, showed great deference to Crane, instructing those around him to call him Judge Crane and saying, That's what I'm going to call you because that's what you were when I was practicing. Crane denied offering the newspaper to Jerry Trump and denied coaching Charles Erickson on what to say on the stand. Again, just smug. And it's, it's, they take so long to talk about what do you want people to call you? Oh, it doesn't matter. You can just call me whatever. Well, I think we should all refer to you as Judge Crane because you've earned that. And, you know, I mean, just, it's disgusting this mm-hmm. good old boys club that they have. And yeah. it's like, I mean, flagrant, just being very flagrant about it. Just showcasing and buddy, it. buddy. Yeah. And yeah. And Catherine, Kathleen Zellner is not from Missouri. And so, and she said that they fought her a lot on her pro hoc Vice admission, which you, you say, I'm, I want to be admitted to your courts for this single purpose. And I'm going to have a local counsel with me or whatever. And that they were all fighting her and kind of like, we don't want some outsider to come in here and try to bust up what we got. It's kind of like what you see with Mur- the Murdoch mm-hmm. case where it takes somebody going, we're not going to believe this. We're from a different city. We're not, you have no sway over us with your whatever charm, power, authority, whatever you think you have. She's she's not intimidated Mm-mm. and she does not back down and she is not they're in there just patting each other on the backs and she's there to get the truth. Mm-hmm. She's not there to rub somebody's ego. Yeah. Six and a half months after the hearing, on Wednesday, October thirty first, twelve, the eleventh anniversary of Kent Heitholt's murder, Cole County Circuit Judge Daniel Green denied Ryan's habeas petition. Judge Green stated he found Charles Erickson's testimony to be not credible and false. He also found that Jerry Trump's new testimony would not have been a difference maker in the original trial. Additionally, Judge Green declared that Kevin Crane did not encourage perjury. Given the extent of testimony from both Jerry Trump and Charles, Ryan's attorney Kathleen called the decision puzzling. And it, and it is puzzling because, like I said, when you go over the prongs of Brady, they failed to disclose Barbara Trump because the the that's the the whole key is that the prosecutor investigator, the investigator working for the prosecution's office, went and talked to Barbara and said, "Did you mail him this article?" And she said, "I don't know. I don't remember that. Why well, I wouldn't have done that." So that's that would be impeachment evidence because you have a witness, Jerry Trump, on the stand going. My wife mailed me this article. Now you have evidence that he lied. That is, whether in, intentional or inadvertent, that 100% should have been disclosed. Mm-hmm. And when you withhold that evidence that's favorable, that now this person who's saying, oh, suddenly I remembered it was him. And that, that and then when you take that in when you take that with the the rest of the disclosures that they failed to do, it, I mean, this is just like bullseye. But 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 for some reason, Daniel Green goes, you know, my buddy would never do that. Yeah. I think my buddy did a great job on this. Mm-hmm. Both Ryan and his family were devastated at the loss. Bill had been certain they were going to win. Ryan told 48 Hours that he had allowed himself to have hope and was crushed by the blow. Zellner, however, was not beat. In January of 2013, she filed an appeal to the Missouri Court of Appeals asking for a new trial because newly discovered evidence established that Ryan was actually innocent and alleged that his due process rights were violated, depriving him of a fair trial. A key issue was whether Jerry Trump's wife, Barbara, had sent the newspaper containing photographs of Ryan and Charles to Jerry. Before the trial, Barbara made a statement to the prosecution's investigator that she did not recall ever providing her husband with the newspaper article. The investigator never told Ryan's attorney about this fact, 
It would have given Ryan's defense team a meaningful opportunity to challenge Jerry Trump's credibility. The prosecution was legally required to turn over this information to the defense, and failing to do so was a clear violation of Ryan's constitutional rights under Brady. And you see this and you go, how did the last guy, you know, every appeal before this, too. I mean, this is new with Barbara Trump, but it's luckily for Ryan, his case didn't hinge on one piece of evidence. There were Mm -hmm. so many pieces of evidence. They kept getting other extra bites at the apple. Mm -hmm. On November 5th, 2013, a three judge panel at the Missouri Court of Appeals Western District vacated Ryan's conviction, holding that the prosecution failed to provide multiple pieces of exculpatory evidence to the defense. The panel concluded the cumulative effect of the non-disclosure when considered with other information the state did not disclose renders Ferguson's verdict not worthy of confidence. Kathleen Zellner headed to Ryan in prison to tell him the news. With the phones not working, she grabbed a pen and a booklet. She scribbled. It is over. And held it up to the glass. This is really powerful in Dream Killer 2 because the moment his parents find out is... um, like it's in real time that this is yeah, they're all being happening. Filmed. Yes. And it's um it's interesting because you would think this is like a huge phone call you get or you go to court to find out this news, but it's just online. They're just checking court records online and they're constantly refreshing because they know the decision is gonna come out and they just refresh it and it just says it online and they of course, you know, lose their minds and call family and everything and then Kathleen calls them and his mom says, when is he going to get out? And she just says, who cares? It's over. He's getting <laughs> yeah. out, you know, and she's she's over there. It's just seeing all of that and just the relief and joy that they feel. And just, you know, the outpouring of emotion is is really something. Well, and for, you know, after so many hours that, you know, Bill and Leslie put in of fighting for him, I'm sure tons of money. Now Kathleen Zellner's put tons of time in. And for Kathleen Zellner, seeing there is at least still some justice mm-hmm. that there are there are these the three judge panel of the court of appeals actually follow the law because the puzzling decision prior to that the decisions prior to her being in the case what happened in the investigation you kind of i mean this is her job day in and day out but it has to at least feel good to go at least there's some adults mm-hmm. in the room that know what the heck is right. going on at least this wasn't all for naught and you know she she tells the documentarians like this is the last last stop. You know, mm-hmm. the, he he's out of he's out of ch- chances after this and uh this is the appeal where you get 15 minutes to mm-hmm. plead your case, right? Which is mm-hmm. she said they prepared months and and countless hours for 15 minutes. I mean, that is a very small window to get everything you need to say in very concisely and make sure you don't miss anything. And her, I was telling you when I was reading her petition, it's so well drafted. If you ever think, man, I think I want to go to law school or if you're in law school, I'll put it in the show. I mean, it's in the show notes as well as one of the sources. But the way that she framed pieces of evidence and was not heavy handed, I think that it's a lost art of that persuasive writing where you don't have to say this was a huge, massive fabrication or deal screw up. You just go this, this and this happened. This is what they said happened. Mm hmm. And you, you kind of, I mean, it speaks for itself and she uses certain phrases and certain words that are very effective and that coupled with her, you know, 15 minute oral argument. I mean, obviously it was successful, but it's the difference in somebody getting up there and going, I don't know what street that building's on. Right. Gee, golly whiz. Wait, wasting five of your 15 minutes on just fumbling around. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's incredible. 
Like most mothers, Diana was also fiercely protective of her children, especially when it came to the press. Footage on the Nat Geo doc shows one ski trip with her boys where the press was unrelenting. Fed up, Diana approached one paparazzo and asked, as a mother, for them to let her family enjoy their vacation in peace. The cameras often upset William and Harry, and she had already posed for a scheduled photo shoot earlier that morning. Now, she wanted to enjoy a relaxing lunch with her kids. When the paparazzo told her he would leave her alone if she just gave him one more picture, she said, Absolutely not. And walked off. This is pretty badass, this Mm -hmm. footage. They're having lunch at the ski lift. This guy's just will not let up. And she just gets up and walks. I mean, just staring him dead in the eyes, walks up to him, puts her hand up on his camera. And I'm like, oh, she's about to go off. But she's very calm still. She is. Could you please? We're just trying to yeah, enjoy Yeah, and she's ski. like, as a mother. I mean, she says that. As mm-hmm. a mother, can you please just let... Because especially William, the cameras would kind of scare them. Mm-hmm. And they scheduled, as they would do on these... Uh, vacations or holiday is they would schedule a, a press outing mm-hmm. so they press could get all their pictures and it was kind of the deal what they made with them from these this time to this time take all the pictures you want and then leave us alone and so they had already done all that that morning so they were supposed to be off limits and this guy just wasn't having it Mm-mm. and it's like what why do you need this picture yeah what what tabloid is i mean i guess you want to be like I was the only one that got them at lunch or whatever, but also have a heart and be a human being that, and she's, uh, they're alone, obviously. Mm-hmm. The, Charles isn't there. The kids are upset. <sighs> I think That's it's- why I couldn't be a celebrity. I can't deal with all, all oh, not having any privacy. Being hunted, but the, they mm-hmm. got paid so much for the photos and maybe you wouldn't get paid a lot for a plain picture of them skiing, but I wonder if as a paparazzo, you're, in your head, almost like chasing a gambling high where you think, but I could be there when William falls and maybe he breaks a tooth and I'm mm. the only one that has the photo of him doing that. So I'm yeah. going to sit here and hunt them because I'm going to be the one that sees that one thing. Sure. But that's that's a sick way to live because there's a human being on the other side of that lens. What's that movie that's kind of like that, but it's about the, the news people that go after car crashes? Is it Jake Gyllenhaal movie? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know the name of it, but I know Jake Gyllenhaal's in it. <laughs> That's, it's the same thing. I mean, you're just like, want to be the first on the scene before um, medics or anything get there so you can get those gruesome pictures and s- sell them a for tabloid? a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Sinisterhood will be right back. Diana's popularity with the public had reached all new heights. The country was absolutely enamored with her. Known as the People's Princess, she was on the cover of the newspapers daily. The public saw her as warm, compassionate, natural, unpretentious, and a breath of fresh air to the often stuffy royal family. As the couple traveled the world, people would go absolutely wild when they saw the new Princess of Wales. Diana called it... Marilyn Monroe publicity. That's... I, she was bigger than Marilyn Monroe. Oh, I think so. I mean... <laughs> The way that people lined the streets and mm-hmm. screamed. There's one shot of them in D.C. Mm-hmm. And there were people 
over a block away, but behind a barricade, but to the point where they could see her get out of a, a car and walk into whatever building. And you, I mean, it was Elvis, the Beatles. They were just screaming themselves, crying. That's her. That's her. Taking pictures with her old school, you know, film cameras. Mm-hmm. Just trying to say, I was there when she was, we breathed the same air. Yeah. I think that's the one where the woman is saying, please look over here, please. Mm-hmm. Oh, it'll make my life if you just mm-hmm. look over here. They said when they had William and they did the iconic photo outside, there was probably 20 press, five news stations, you know, 30 paparazzi or whatever. When Kate and William presented George to the world on the same steps, they had to block off miles of the street because, I mean, the pictures are insane. Just thousands of press there and people that live there. Just, you know, everybody with their phone lined up. There was a guy called, um, the queen calls him the Union Jack man, who he, I think he's like 85 and he's loves the Royals and he's tries to go to every one of the events they have. And he was there for all the birth of the presenting of the births and everything. And he's like, it's just, it's, it's such a good thing for our country for a baby to be born. And that's how so many of them look at it, that mm-hmm. this is, it's not just them that this is happening to, it's, it's all of us. And that's, I think, why the royals feel this duty to present the baby and let everyone in on their personal lives because that's what they're, they're these heroes and icons to so many people that kind of live vicariously through them and look at them as, a uh, kind of what's the word I'm looking for uh, measuring stick as to how things are going in yeah. their country. If we have a good looking prince and a good looking wife and they're healthy and they're doing good for the country mm-hmm. where it's a good reflection back on them. I think it, for in this case, why Diana is so iconic, because like you said, they have a duty. They are the monarch. They're in theory in charge of these, you know, their subjects, but the way Diana interacted with people, you know, she didn't wear gloves. Mm-hmm. So it sets this other standard. Whereas before it was, we are here to present you with a baby. We're going to follow the steps of the proper procedure that we've done with every other thing. And it was, this is the way it has always been. And Diana said, no, nah, I'm going to go shake their hands. Get out of the way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go hug them. And there's video, there's footage of an older guy. He's maybe in his seventies sitting in a lawn chair and obviously mm-hmm. had been waiting. And she's just kneeled down talking to him and he is sobbing. Yeah. And he's just going, I love you so much. I love you so much. I love you so much. And it's so meaningful to him. And she's just going, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. And she had that closeness. And I think that's. So, like we said in the last one, this is like a good brand ambassador for you. Why would you turn on her? Yeah. She's drawing more people in. Mm-hmm. Well, while the entire world was enamored with the Princess of Wales, her husband was not. Her increasing popularity seemingly caused him to resent her even more, further driving a wedge between them. He also continued to show no compassion for her physical and mental health. During one of their final tours as a couple in Canada... Diana fainted during a public appearance. She had been on her feet all day, was exhausted, and had not kept any food down for days. Those around the princess were, of course, concerned. That is everyone but her husband. Instead, Charles was furious with Diana for not having fainted in private, away from the spectators and press. He also insisted she go out that night, even though Diana pleaded to stay in and get some much-needed rest. 
Charles wouldn't have it, telling their staff, She must go out tonight, otherwise there's going to be a sense of terrific trauma and they're going to think there's something awfully wrong with her. Apparently, also, she said when she would eat a big meal, even when she was trying to say, okay, I'm going to be healthy, I'm going to go ahead and eat and get my nourishment, he would say, are we going to see that later? What a waste. Yikes. Yeah. Not just I'm aware of your bulimia and I'm ignoring it, but I'm actively mocking you. Wow. Are we going to see that later? What a waste. Wow. Oh, God. To cope with the media and pressure of life in the public eye, Diana said she had a conversation with herself where she told herself she had to stop fighting everything and instead approach it at a different angle. She decided to take her attention and role and use it responsibly, diving into her humanitarian work with a new resolve. Yeah, she. I think they were at Balmoral and William and Harry were playing mm-hmm. in the stream and she said she just gave herself a pep talk and was like, this is your life. You got to you got to go with the stream. You, at some point, if you say there's no getting out of this, mm-hmm. resistance is futile. Yes, you, swim, with the, you know, swim with the tide. <laughs> yes. One of the first issues Diana tackled as a working royal was homelessness in the UK. Photos in the documentary Diana, Our Mother, Her Life and Legacy show the princess with her young sons, William and Harry, at The Passage, a homeless shelter in London. William first visited at age 12 a visit that was so impactful he continues to visit the residents of the passage to this very day, carrying on the important work his mother started. One of the parts I cried at. Oh, so so powerful. He's sitting, I mean, he's just sitting down with them, the residents of this homeless shelter, just a normal person. You wouldn't, if you didn't know who he was and you walked in, you would just think, oh, there's a nice looking man in a, in a slacks and a shirt sitting there. But he mm-hmm. just seemed very um, at ease and comfortable. He talked to them about their children, remembered some of them from before and would ask how, how they were doing. And one of the residents said, every time he comes in here, I just feel like we're just sitting at the pub having a pint. Like, mm-hmm. cause that's how, you know, just affable he was with them and, and how warm he was. And he gets that from her. I know. I was crying. I was like, that is Diana. That is mm-hmm. 100%. That is her legacy is that she's got now two Kids that have changed the way this family operates. She she shook it up. She changed it. They are with the people down there shaking hands, no gloves, having a pint, you know? I love that they continued that. Mm -hmm. Arguably, Diana's biggest legacy was the work she did to help raise awareness to the AIDS epidemic at the time. One of the most famous moments was in April of 1987, when Diana visited Middlesex Hospital's AIDS ward. By then, Diana was known for hugging those who were ill or elderly. There was discussion of whether she would wear gloves when shaking hands with the AIDS patients. Fear and misinformation surrounded the illness at the time. Many mistakenly believed that the virus could be contracted by shaking hands with a person that had it. Determined to help decrease the misinformation and stigma surrounding the disease, the princess walked in and greeted the patients warmly, as she would anyone else. She hugged one patient and sat beside him as she held his hand. She said of the encounter. It was wonderful. It made him laugh. John O'Reilly, a nurse at the hospital when Diana visited, told the BBC. This was Diana, Princess of Wales, coming in gloveless and shaking our patients' hands as well as ours. It was very moving. Today, her son, Prince Harry, carries on his mother's work through his charity, Sintabali, a mental health charity for children and young people affected by AIDS in Botswana and Malawi. 
it's pretty powerful in that documentary too to see him accepting an award on behalf of his mother. He goes with Rihanna, mm-hmm. and um, it was a, it was a big press moment because they're both seen ha- getting AIDS tests, and they were just really trying to normalize it. And I read that after that aired, the at home tests went up by um, one a household to five a household. Like it, wow. it really did work. And I just love that both of her sons took the thing she was most passionate about and said, Mm -hmm. we're not going to let this die. And they still do the anti-landmine work as well. And that Mm -hmm. was a couple of people that she had met when they were kids who had been impacted by landmines and lost limbs said, there were times I wanted to kill myself, but I remembered I talked to your mom and she Mm -hmm. told me, Every day is a new day. It'll be a bright future. And that's why I held on. And I was just crying. <laughs> that's like a, you know, you want to say it's a throw, not a throwaway thing. I, I believe she genuinely meant it. And it was a genuine connection that she made at that time. But it was one single sentence that literally changed a person's life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible. It really is. And the fact that Harry still goes back and meets with those people. I love it. Did you know that he and Megan, after the, the, Snow, I think was it Snowpocalypse at the roof to yes, the Genesis, Genesis Women's Shelter, which is a domestic violence shelter here in Dallas that I'm very passionate about. I donate to them all the time. But the roof got ruined and they purchased them a new roof. I don't yeah, even know they, how they would know about that, but that's incredible. I think someone tagged somebody on Instagram, but yeah, they, the Archwell Foundation, they, they basically saw that it was the first time in Genesis Women's Shelter history that they had to evacuate people, that they couldn't take, they had to, you know, move them to hotels and things yeah. like that, that they couldn't house them there. And it was such a big deal. They just wrote a check for the whole, everyone's like, we'll have a GoFundMe and see if we can help raise money for the roof. Nope. Done. Ar- Amazing. Yeah, Archwell took care of it. So nice. For nearly half a year after her husband's death, Hannah was only seen at night, dressed in widow's black, sometimes standing in the swamp behind her house. Even though the general consensus was that she killed her husband, rumors of her powers made the authorities too afraid to arrest her. Well, that's right there. Just playing the game. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's a lot of power. When you're like, I honestly didn't even do anything, but everyone is so terrified of me that they won't come talk to me. My dream. If, ever, if I, <laughs> like, people are so terrified of me, they don't come to my house and want things. Yeah, you don't get hassled. It'd be yeah. great. Don't have me awesome. stopping by, asking to borrow stuff, or looking for, I don't know what they looked for but back then. Did they have sugar? I don't know. Yeah, probably. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't that's know. a great when, question. So be like, things actually. got discovered. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or where things were grown. Connecticut, they had, what did they put in their tea? Probably nothing. Ugh. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of snow up there. Maybe they just melted, <laughs> just melted in. snow. I don't know what they did. But yeah, I mean, you don't want people coming and knocking on your door and bugging you, especially she needs a couple months to, She's you know, grieving. Mourn. Yeah. Yes. So leave her alone. And the tradition was when you were a widow to dress all in black i guess until forever i don't know if there was a time limit on it but i read that you know it was long black dresses and you know black cloaks and stuff so one might you know draw the conclusion that if there's this old woman that lives up on the hill Mm -hmm. And she's dressed in all black, standing out in her swamp, and, you know, that... That's the part I have a question about. (laughs) They're like, old Hannah Crana up there, and she's (laughs) like, I'm just grieving, and this was 
the captain and I spot in the swamp. This is where we used to come and stand together every morning. Let me be. Poor oh, Hannah. You know, some people go to Lover's Lane. Hannah, Crana, and the captain went to the swamp. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I was wondering if that's some kind of widow's ritual, but that makes way more sense. I don't know. You know, maybe she was frogging or clamming. You know, don't they have clams there? Just grief clamming. You got to. It's the only way to get through it. You got to get through it. We all grieve in our own ways. And if you need a mollusk to help you you move on, then that is your business. I'm not going to question you. (laughs) We're going to get so many DMs from, I don't know what Connecticut people from Connecticut call themselves. Connecticut? Connecticut 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 Connectors. 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 Uh, And let me just say... I I got nothing but left for a being Connecticut. So um, I want to go. I've always oh, wanted yeah, to go I've never been. to Connecticut. I've always wanted to go to anywhere in the New England area. I mean, I've been to Boston. I've been and, to Boston uh, and Cambridge. Maine. For, oh, oh, did you attend Harvard? I went to Harvard. I had a hamburger at the restaurant across the street. That's as close as I got. <laughs> that, that's I went how to the, I, went I did to go Harvard. to the bathroom in a building there. I, so I oh, recently okay. went to Stanford. Also went to the bathroom in the bookstore. You know what? Hit up the Ivy League bathrooms. <laughs> are they better <laughs> than? Are they better than state schools? Okay, me in the Stanford bookstore bathroom. We had there's an oh. incident. That, oh, okay, no. so if I may briefly, so I went to the bathroom <laughs> and there had a line had formed and it was one giant stall. So it was a relatively small bathroom. It was a mega stall. So it's good because you know if you needed extra room, extra access. Plus there was a baby changing table. So a woman was waiting in the corner on her phone. I don't know what I thought she was waiting to go to the bathroom, but when the stall freed up, she let me go. So I walked in and was waiting. And another lady walks in after me. Again, it's one long wall, so it's a half of it's a door, half of it's a wall. It takes up the whole bathroom. Mm-hmm. It's not that big. And we're standing there and the lady leans down and looks under and so she sees a pair of feet. Oh god. And she goes across over to the wall and she just starts pushing on the wall. <laughs> No, she thought it was another stall. She's pushing on it and she's looking around and she's pushing and she's like, I don't think this door opens. (laughs) And I said, oh, yeah, that's a wall. And she goes, how did you know? And I said, the hand, there's no handle. And also just like two connectors on each side. (laughs) And she's like, oh, okay. And I thought, because before that I had this kind of chip on my shoulder of like, man, all these kids out here playing their beanbag game. They're all smarter than me. And then I was in there and I was like, nope, nope. Oh, this uh-uh. was the this was a Stanford student. I mean, she looked as if she could have been. I don't know. Wow. I may, so, but then again, so could I have. So possibly yeah. she was an interloper like myself. But just watching her push on that door, I thought, well, you know, I probably I might could have gone in here. I don't know. I never tried. It reminds me of the Far Side um, cartoon, Gary Larson Far Side, mm-hmm. where it says Midvale School for the Gifted, and the guy um, on the door it says. Uh, pull and he's just pushing on it real hard. It's, it goes both one of my ways. Favorite. Yeah, <laughs> the door goes both ways. It's one of my favorites. Um, well, all that to be said, um, <laughs> if you are from Connecticut, we love you for sure. Always, yeah. Oh, I have been to Boston and Maine, but it was only for like a half a day each, and I'm dying to go back. We gotta do a full New England tour. Yes, for sure. Um very much trying to go to like a Stephen King main road trip type of thing. Sinisterhood will be right back. After the captain's passing, Hannah was very poor and relied on the bounty of her garden and the stream behind her house to feed her. 
When the land didn't provide, she often turned to her neighbors for items such as food and firewood. Hannah knew of her witchy reputation and often used it to her advantage. If a neighbor refused to help, Hannah would threaten to curse them. As one story goes, Hannah was out walking one day when she saw some delicious pumpkin pies cooling on a neighbor's windowsill. She asked the woman if she could have one. Feeling sorry for the widow, the woman obliged, but gave Hannah the smallest pie she had. Unsatisfied, Hannah asked for a larger one. When the woman refused, Hannah cursed the baker, and the woman never baked a tasty pie again. Dang, at least give her the medium-sized one. Damn, this is how I would use my powers. (laughs) Strictly food-related, if people, (laughs) yes, if I don't get the biggest piece of pizza, or, you know, like... The uh, best-looking piece of pie, boom, done. you're done. You're done. They know so. better now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't know. Uh, just give her the medium-sized pie. Give her pie. the medium-sized pie. Give her the largest pie. Yeah, for, I mean, you know what? Then she puts a spell on you to where you bake, like, the best pies in the village. So she can have All them. of a sudden, you, you're bringing in all the dough. Okay. For the pie. <laughs> and, you know, now you're the pie woman of Monroe. Done and and then, done. then we get to do an episode on you, the pie right. woman of Monroe. <laughs> Not anymore, though, because you are, nope. it's very short-sighted. A lot of the folks in this story, I find, are, they, they want a momentary, uh, either a jab or a laugh, and then look what look at you now. Look what, look you what, did. what you've done. Yeah. Where are you now? You're not, you don't have an episode. Mm-mm. You're not in the history books. Nope. You don't even have it. You're just the pie woman. You have your pie was worth it. <laughs> you don't have a name. Another instance involved a negligent neighbor who let his cows trample Hannah's garden. Rather than apologize, the man responded to Hannah with jeering laughter. In response, Hannah told him, My curse upon you and my curse upon your crop. Thinking nothing of this angry older woman, the farmer went home and headed to bed. When he woke the next morning, every single potato in his field had been struck with the terrible blight Seeing the reach of her power, he went to apologize. The next year, when he planted corn instead of potatoes, Hannah informed him that the crop would flourish, telling him, Always remember that as others do to me, even so do I to them. Good for good and evil for evil. (laughs) And it said in the newspaper that, that he went out and checked his crop, and it was lush AF. Well, there you go. It's not the words they used in the 1901 newspaper <laughs> article I read. They didn't? Mm, no, they, they were like, that crop was lit, yo. I don't even think <laughs> people say that anymore. Lit? Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't been on TikTok in a while, so I'm really down on my youth lingo right now. Oh, my goodness. Last time I, I went down a rabbit hole of high school bathroom TikTok. You sent me some of those. And I was sending them to you. Appalled. Well, there's a lot of this whole whatever challenges going on of the Texas Lawyers Facebook group was a flutter the other day because apparently they said the October challenge was slap a staff member, faculty member challenge, which is in a, in Texas, it's a felony because it's assault on a public servant. So it automatically is a felony. Uh, and so there was all this argument about whether it should or shouldn't be a felony. I mean, I think it is. Don't slap your teacher. Win, win for everyone. Just don't do it. I think we've got, in fact, I know we've got some high school listeners and even yes. younger Let's just talk to them for a second. Hey, guys, if you're listening, we hope that maybe you respect what we have to say as your elders. 
Don't participate in these challenges. Don't go slap your teachers. Don't deface your school property. When you get to be older, you're going to look back and think, man, I was an asshole. Because speaking as somebody who was a huge asshole in high Mm -hmm. school, like, you're going to look back and say, I, now, I did never slapped a teacher and I did not deface property. I was more just shitty to, uh, you know, my parents and stuff. <laughs> You're so rebellious. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was very rebellious. Yeah. But, you know, kids, just be cool. Everybody be cool. Just be cool. Be, uh, and Paris tells me stories. He was like a cool, wild teen in high school. And uh, he'll tell me stories and I'm like, you did what? <laughs> he goes, well, what did you do? I was like, oh, I'll watch um, Late Night. <laughs> TV land shows. Watched, uh, watched Dick Van Dyke. Watched Dick Van Dyke. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, man, I missed out. But I did see where they defaced the bathroom property, uh, whatever it was this last month's challenge, where you were just literally supposed to just yank a toilet out of the wall, apparently, uh, or yank soap dispensers off the wall. And they said a young man in Texas had slipped on the soap and broken his foot and it took him out for his whole football season. It was a senior football season, which sucks because that's, you know, you maybe get a scholarship mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, and it was I he mean, the one that broke it or he just, he was he, a victim. Oh, he was trying to go victim. take a leak. Mm-hmm. Damn. That Unintended sucks. Consequences. Yeah. So stuff Here's like that. Here's a legal question. Yeah. What's up? If he found out who did that, could you sue them? I would, I mean, assuming it was a minor, it probably would be. You probably want to sue their parents. A lot of times homeowners insurance will cover for the torts of minors. Because if it did say affect, I mean, even if it didn't affect a scholarship or anything, it affected his livelihood for sure. Yeah, I mean, you can't go, you know, whatever job you have is presuming you're probably on your feet. So Or just have a good rest of your high school year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Pain and suffering, medical bills. I think so. I think you could sue. Uh, the parents as, you know, because they're in charge of the kid. And uh, that's really negligence because the kid was fucking around pouring soap everywhere. And mm-hmm. his actions are approximate cause of that guy's broken foot. So there you go. Another reason to, to just be cool. Don't just drag your cool. parents into this shit. <laughs> I also, I cannot with the list that was circulating of the possible future challenges. I sent it to you and it said January was jab abreast. And yeah, I have cool. to assume jab is punch, which is not cool. Mm-mm. But jab to me sounds like. Like a stab. That's horrifying. Don't do that either. Don't do anything to anybody's tits except your own. No, or unless somebody ask. asks you to. <laughs> yeah, jab to me means like it's a quick punch, like a jab in boxing. Oh. Like, yeah, it oh. would hurt. I mean, any way you slice it, it's assault. So Yeah, don't do that. You know, don't do any of that stuff. Just That's freaking crazy. be cool. Yeah. Turn into a PSA. It's like, <laughs> hey, kids, it's your aunts, well, Christy and Heather. <laughs> it's your cool aunts. I also cool want to know who comes up with these lists. Well, and also I wonder, because you remember when we were, you know, younger, it, the news would say, you know, teens are worshiping the devil and we yeah. weren't. We were listening to rock and roll music. And so I say that's, we called it rock and roll <laughs> back then. Uh, <laughs> we're 63. <laughs> we were listening to Chart Melon Camp. Uh, but for real, but I, so I wonder too, if those lists that are circulating is truly what the teens are saying, like, mm-hmm. was 21 Jump Street involved? Like, they had to, who got the hot Or deets? it's like the Tide Pod Challenge. Like, wasn't that all just, like, like panic? nothing, and it was panic, and parents yeah. thought kids were doing this, but they weren't really yeah. doing it? The, the bathroom destruction was real, though. I saw it on TikTok firsthand, and then also, like, the news, and they reported it and stuff like that. So that's, uh, hopefully, slap a teacher is not going to happen, because... Oh. Your ass is getting expelled. Uh, Dunzo. For sure. Well, the potato incident created even more hype around Hannah and her powers. According to a 1901 article in the Newtown Bee, Hannah Crano was described as a 
weird, uncanny creature whose powers of witchcraft were known by all and feared by many. The newspaper published stories of her fantastic powers that were from people of undoubted integrity and credibility, with facts either actually seen or thoroughly understood. By the newspaper staff. Yeah, they really try to put a lot in there of like, this is, we saw this. A weird, uncanny creature. I think she sounds delightful. Oh, she Somebody great. I'd like to be friends with. Yeah. That's a, to me, if someone said I was a weird, uncanny creature, I'd be like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you very That's much. So nice. And yes, you're right. Yes. One such account was about two farmers, Theodore Beach and Isaac Nichols, who challenged Hannah one day as they passed by her home with a wagon full of hay being pulled by oxen. Seeing her in her garden, the men shouted, Hello, old witch. Can you give us an exhibition of thy boasted power? The news reported that Hannah had been angered. By the tone more than the words? And responded in kind. Before you pass yonder tree, you shall have evidence of that which you so ironically ask. She told them, pointing to a tree down a path. As the men laughed her off, they attempted to drive away, but found themselves stuck. Once they finally got moving again, the wagon tumped over, spilling hay everywhere and causing the oxen to run off in fright, dragging the men behind them. Fucking got him. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I relate so hard to the by the tone more than the words. Ooh, <laughs> I felt that in my soul. You know, you know. Also, first of all, they said, hey, old witch, that's fucked up. Yeah. So that's what that someone like that. <laughs> but you know the tone that he said, thy boasted power, like, mm, mm -hmm. pr prove it. And his ass got literally dragged. <laughs> he was actually dragged. Uh, yes. Yes. Also, I appreciate that in my notes, I wrote that the wagon tumped over and you left that. Thank you. I thought about it. I thought about changing it. And then I thought, you know what? I used the word tumped recently. So <laughs> All the time I, do. I feel like it's a legitimate word. I'm sure a lot of people that are not from the South are going to be like, what the hell does tumped mean? It means when your wagon tumps over, all the, the hay spills falls everywhere. <laughs> That's all, that is what it is. It's literally like a wagon tumped over. Yeah. Because Paris or had a your bag tumps over. Because or like, you, you get tumped out of a chair. Yes. Oh, I've tumped out of a chair. But we had a, had a discussion because like it's not the same as flipped. Because to me, no. if the wagon flips, then it would be the top of the wagon on the ground, wheels in the air. Tumped is the wagon is on its side. It's and just it like falls out. over. Yeah. Yes. It falls just over. tumps over. Yeah. I don't know how else to explain it. Sometimes Ella's like, what does tump mean? And I'm like. I, it just means something tumped over. What's tump? I'm like, it just tumped. Like, sometimes a word is a word, and you can't explain it any more than it that. It sounds like what it is. Yeah, exactly. What is that? An onomatopoeia? I think that's right. Like, bang. Yeah. Yes, or pow, or tumped. Don't you like that I said, I just go bang. That's <laughs> my first one. And I'm not talking about the gun kind of bang. Mm -mm. Well, still not everyone was convinced of Hannah's powers, with some townspeople calling them. Cunning trickery and pseudo-sorcery. Everyone in sight was soon convinced, though, when after a prolonged drought decimated their crops, the town asked Hannah for her help. She told the townspeople that, frankly, they didn't deserve rain. But feeling sorry for them, she made it rain anyway, thus proving her power to them once and for all. It's so fucking satisfying for everyone to call you a witch. Everyone's an asshole to you. They're mean to you. You try to go down to the market or whatever, and they all whisper behind your back, behind your cloak. They see you on the mountaintop, and they freaking point at you, and they come scream and call you an old witch. And then all their shit dies. And who 
do they turn to? Mm -hmm. The witch. Mm -hmm. They come up there. They beg for her help. And you know what? She could have told them to fuck off and let them all starve because they jacked her with the tiny pie. She was. She did not hold a pie grudge. You know mm -hmm. what? Well, she did. She cursed that lady, but <laughs> she didn't let that. She, you know what? She made it rain, and we. Can, she did. She literally made it rain. But yeah, I she like literally it. dragged somebody, and she literally made it rain. Yes. Hannah Crana was way ahead of her time. <laughs> she was the head. She's the head bitch of all this. Like she, she is, came up with all this. Her DNA came back. She's one hundred percent that witch. She is absolutely. Well, I also, as a very, um, I don't. I've we've said it before. I'm extremely petty, <laughs> and I hold a, like really hard grudges for a long time that I should let go of, and I just won't ever. I don't care. But I love that they came up and said, "Will you please make it rain?" And she has to not just go. Okay, she's like. You don't fucking deserve rain, <laughs> but okay. I want you to know that this rain is a gift. It's not. Mm -hmm. This is not something that you're owed. This is superfluous. I am providing this to you mm -hmm. above and beyond. And I like to just twist the knife a little bit. And I really, I, I relate to this part highly. Would you have made it rain for them? Like probably not for several days. She did it like the next day. I would have probably made him wait mm. for it and been like, I need at least four more people to come up here and ask me very nicely. Yes. I Well, because your love language is words of affirmation. True. So I imagine even in colonial times, you would have been like, I, I need you to compliment my head Cloak. to toe black dress and my white bonnet before I even think about making it rain for anybody. I think I'm going to go head to toe black dress and black bonnet. I'm going all out. You're going all black? Yeah. Yeah, maybe with like a net over the face. Well, I would have been a witch. So, so. I, I would have just been riding around on a broomstick with Hell rags yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah, I would have totally leaned in. You're the Come actual at me. witch. I dare, you, I dare you to hang me. <laughs> That's right. It's not You're happening. You're the actual witch. I would be the one that's on the crag that just has such a <laughs> sully disposition that people are like, she's probably a witch. And I'm like, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Give me your pie. Yes. See, that's you got the best of both worlds because people fear you, but yeah. you also, you're just like, you don't have that uh, the on your conscience. The you know, true. you don't have the burden of all that. Yeah. We would have still been friends, though. hundred yeah. percent. Witchy deeds together. A witch gang. It's 16 or 1800s witch gang. It's a, called a coven, I believe. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a, see? <laughs> mean bitch on the hill. Just, I need you to teach me. Thank no, you. That's what I'm here for. And then it's like a motorcycle gang. So you have a black leather jacket mm -hmm. and it says witch gang. And then underneath it, it says known by all and feared by many. I love it. God. Or the witch okay. gang is called Weird Uncanny Creatures. And well, then that's here's the tagline. Here's our newest t-shirt right Known here. by all, feared by many. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope you feel extremely badass and empowered. And if you want to feel even more empowered, you can come to Obsessed Fest October 20th through the 22nd in our hometown of Dallas, Texas. Obsessed Fest is the festival that brings together podcasters and listeners for a weekend of performances, panels, camaraderie, and setting the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest drag brunch ever convened. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for the Taylor Swift sing-along we get to be judges slash participants in an Am I the Asshole style game show. It's going to be super fun. We're doing a show there yes. that's going to be about JFK conspiracies. Patrick from True Crime Obsessed specifically requested it because it's our hometown. And what is our hometown known more for 
than assassinating a president. You know what? We might as well lean into it. But we've got a uh, an interesting lineup of conspiracies that are out there that are some more of the fringe ones and then kind mm-hmm. of bring it all back together <laughs> with reality as we do. But we're not the only ones doing performances there. They've got Wine and Crime, True Crime Obsessed, I Think Not, Robbie Ashadri, Generation Y, Red Handed, I, uh, Let's Go to Court, there's Bob Ruff. We'll be there. There's so many more people I didn't even list, but you can go to obsessfest.com and check out the full lineup and get your tickets, passes, all that good stuff. October 20th through the 22nd in our hometown of Dallas, Texas. If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of bonus content. We've got all sorts of fun stuff up there right now. And tomorrow we have our monthly Q&A live stream at 8 p.m. Central Time. If you have never attended one, they are always a ton of fun. Everyone in the chat can submit questions. The 20 most upvoted are the ones that we answer. And it's always a hoot and a holler, as they say time it's it's going to be wednesday tonight september 20th at 8 p.m central and you can go to patreon.com slash sinisterhood and we're right there at the very first pin post it's right there at the very top go to our crowdcast app you can't miss it wednesday september 20th and this friday september 23rd at 2 p.m central we're going to be doing our uh i laughed because it's a weird one that we're doing i'm we're so excited <laughs> for it our quarterly bonus content and uh, someone had suggested a while back Facebook marketplace finds and I have spent into the wee hours of the morning gathering some of the most bizarre Facebook marketplace finds from our local area and they are I am concerned about where I live. <laughs> so you can watch, check those out uh, on Friday at 2 p.m. Central. You catch the replay as well. All of that. Um, and our most recent bonus content. We talk a lot about music. It's such a good one. Ask Reddit. Mm-hmm. So check all that good stuff out. And for recent patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. You can head to SinisterHood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. We've got new sweaters, sweatshirts, mugs, beanies, all the stuff to get you ready for fall. Just head to SinisterHood.com and click shop on the top banner. While you're there, you can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for more fun like topic-based playlists and links to live shows. We have the Obsessed Fest link is up there, and any other time we do live shows or have something we're participating in, that will be there too. You can follow us on Instagram, X and threads at sinisterhood pod (laughs) and like us on facebook at sinisterhood we're also on youtube and tiktok at sinisterhood podcast and you can find us on cameo where we can do your custom video shout outs uh you can have a happy birthday happy anniversary whatever message you want to send to that person who loves sinisterhood in your life even yourself you can have us uh do a custom video at cameo.com slash sinisterhood where you at online i'm on instagram at christy and wallace and tiktok at christy or gtfo heather pretty much everywhere at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Quaid. Beth Alderton. Julie. Devin Lehman. Allie. Jamie Yarbrough. Jake and Cade. Janelle Ross. Peyton and Ashley Hera. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. We sincerely appreciate it and love 
each and every one of you. We hope we pronounce your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. <laughs> that was my Hannah Cranna laugh. Sinister. Hood.